Hello and welcome to another episode of Learning Rewired, where leaders are challenged to rethink what, how and why they and their organizations learn. Learning Rewired is proudly presented by Headspring, custom executive development specialists as part of Headspring's commitment to fostering cultures of continuous learning. I'm your host, Bevan Rees. With me in the studio today, I have Sheila Vinsela from uh, Aptar. And uh, Sheila, you find yourself in London currently for Campus, which is a co-created leadership development program between Aptar and Headspring. And uh, welcome to London. Thank you, Bevan. It's great to be back in London. And uh, Sheila is the CHRO of APTA, a large global corporation. And many, many questions I'd love to ask you, Sheila. We only have half an hour, so uh, there's something particular that I want to dive into today, and that's really around the topic of diversity and inclusion. And I know that you're particularly passionate about this topic, so I'm here to pick your brain and uh, really mine that mind of yours for some fresh perspectives. But perhaps to lay a bit of context, we're in this kind of post-Davos phase at the moment where we're also very fresh in our minds a lot about these pretty strong outcomes and conversations that came out of Davos a few weeks ago. And I mean, there's some great comments that really set the tone, but one of the most memorable for me was the one from Klaus Schwab, who's the founder of the World Economic Forum, when he spoke about the funeral of shareholder capitalism and the birth of stakeholder capitalism. And there were some other comments recently by Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, where he was speaking about capitalism as we know it is dead. And then Larry Fink, chairman of BlackRock, the world's largest investment firm, in the, his you know annual letter to CEOs, was calling for a fundamental reshaping of finance. So really speaking about a, a real system reorientation to meet these increasing challenges in the domains of environment and society and governance. So there really is this sense that there's a sea change in what businesses need to be about beyond just shareholder primacy and profit delivery, really this urgent move towards purpose. And I'd love to get your viewpoint, you know, just as an initial take on where diversity and inclusion fits into this. Diversity and inclusion has been, you know, a conversation. It's been a target for many corporations for some time. But what is new about diversity and inclusion in this current environment of uh, ESG considerations? So there's many things, and uh, I couldn't be more you know, energized getting all this uh, highlighted, emphasized, uh, top-of-mind messaging from all the leading companies around the world. It is uh, really fantastic to uh, really trust the whole topic into the center of everything, uh, quite frankly, because DNI or diversity and inclusion has been around for a while, but it has been it has been a topic on the side when uh, we have time, we'll work on it because mm-hmm. it's uh, nice to do, it's, it's a good thing to do, and we can then say we'll do it. But it really, truly has been uh, pushed into the forefront by uh, major leading corporations around the world. And, of course, what happens after is 
dependent on what companies and uh, leaders and employees of those organizations will actually do. But the messaging in this area is extremely important. It's, I say this a lot, but I deeply believe in it. The message from the top, and in this case, from the top of, uh, of major corporations, is extremely important mm-hmm. to open the conversation, to set the expectations, and really set it into the ecosystem of of looking at the broader picture of stakeholders. It's uh, stakeholders, communities, it's our employees, it's our future employees, it's uh, organizations and communities around us, it's our suppliers, it's our customers, it's our shareholders. And it really broadens the conversation and helps to integrate it into everything we do. Mm. I uh, remember last year when Business Roundtable in the States, the, the representative association of leading CEOs, essentially released a redefinition of the purpose of business, which was no longer just about shareholders, it was, as you say, stakeholders, and those stakeholders being multiple, including you know, communities and environment, um, but employees specifically. And, and I mean, my, my sense is that as soon as you start speaking about employees and their well-being and them being primary stakeholders in the success of a business, you can't do that without speaking authentically about diversity and inclusion. And what I'm hearing you say is that, well, actually, the reason I thought about that was what I remember from that time was when Business Roundtable made that statement, mm-hmm. there was a lot of, I'd say, excitement about mm-hmm. it. Uh, there was a lot of um, enthusiasm for it. But then, you know, very predictably, those kind of cynical voices saying, well, yes, it's a very easy thing to say, but let's see if change ever happens. But as you say, it seems that there has been this momentum of very senior leaders in major organizations repeatedly committing to this sort of agenda. So that leadership decision you're saying is is very important. How does it actually effectively filter into the organization, though? I mean, you were speaking about DNIs historically being almost this separate agenda within the business. How do we move towards this middle ground where, through leadership commitment, we can really integrate this into I suppose, the culture of the organization. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And again, we go back to um, the uh, tone at the top, the commitment of, uh, visible commitment of leadership around expectations on uh, creating an inclusive culture and attracting diverse talent pool. It's in our best interest. You know, after all, what diversity is about, it's really opening your doors to as broad a talent pool as possible. Mm. And it's, exactly the best thing to do because what you see outside your door uh, literally and figuratively speaking is uh, the world outside Mm -hmm. you know around us and we should be like the world around us Mm -hmm. uh, because it's increasingly diverse it's fluid it's mobile it's connected and we are best served it's in our best interest to pull from the talent pool so that's one part so it's it's a workforce imperative. You know, we want to make sure that you organize for the future. You want to have the best workforce uh, for the future and you want to make sure that you have access and you are attractive to the um, broadest possible talent pool outside. So Mm -hmm. that's the diversity piece. So you want to bring in diverse talent. But then you need the inclusion piece, which is really what you do with it, Mm -hmm. how you make sure that they actually do feel at home, they want to stay, and there's any number of research that shows that people who feel included, welcome, feel like they belong and they can be their whole selves at work are four times as 
motivated, as engaged, and therefore successfully contributing to the organization and fulfill their potential. I really, truly, deeply believe in it. I've seen it uh, work, and you know, this is what, it's not a technical term, but this is where magic happens, <laughs> really, when people work together in a way that's uh, productive, that's positive, that's energizing, and uh, really, it's a success case, however you look at it. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, you know, many times people ask, you know, why does it go together? Can you have diversity without inclusion or inclusion without diversity? Well, my answer to that is you can, but it doesn't really mean too much. You know, when you have diversity but no inclusion, then it won't last long because people will feel like this is not my home. I don't want to stay here. Or you can have inclusion without diversity, but then it's only a club. Mm -hmm. And again, you don't have the benefit. So the two things really have to go together. And so your question was, what do companies do or what can organizations do to really make it come alive and make it a reality. Mm. So leadership commitment, extremely important. I'm a believer in, uh, now we get to more technicalities, I'm a big believer in target setting Mm -hmm. because, again, you measure what you treasure. You know, there has to be a little bit of of an accountability inserted there. And quite frankly, you measure your progress towards those objectives. So... That's one part. The other part is uh, putting in programs or institutions that will help you get there. So there's this notion of uh, leading indicators and lagging indicators. You can't just wait for diversity to happen. Now you have to do something for it. So what do you do? You really, really look at making sure that every single recruitment you do, you search for Uh, You put in the work for creating diverse slates, because after all, if your candidate slate is not diverse, then it will never happen. So how do you do that? You have to put in extra effort again to open up your company to multiple pools of talent, reach out to multiple pools of talent. So that's one area, of course, that's very important to make sure that you attract. Then, of course, you have to work on your employer brand communicate, tell the story of what your company is about, how you think about the internal culture, what is in it for you if you join the organization and build the employer brand and uh, communicate about the culture you have within the organization. There's this other notion of diversity and inclusion is competitiveness on the outside and culture and uh, motivation on the inside and engagement on the inside. So again, the the benefits of diversity and inclusion. So other aspects is creating capabilities for inclusive leadership. Inclusive leadership, again, doesn't come naturally to everyone. Some people are good at it, Mm -hmm. but that's not the case with every manager or every leader because inclusive uh, leadership takes effort. It's hard work because you have to work, interact, uh, relate to people who are not like you, and it takes effort. And Mm. that's another aspect of how do you make diversity and inclusion happen? How do you create capabilities and skills of inclusive leadership and how you equip managers uh, with that. So so it's a multiple, it's it's actions on all fronts. Mm. And it has to be deliberate, intentional, and continuous actions until it becomes second nature and you feel like, Now, it's no longer a focused initiative because it's how we are. Mm. But you have to get there, which is why these very deliberate messages, metrics, various programs and activities are important to get us there. You know, just waiting for it to happen and just declaring it that we are doing it 
will not get us there. Mm. So it becomes uh, at one point how we are, but until then, you know, as an organization, as a society, but until then we have to work hard at it, mm. put mm. some effort. I mean, I think it's a fantastic observation. So, you know, it really adds that beautiful foil to what could be described as sentiment of, you know, seen as sentiment from very senior leaders about positive change that needs to be happen and needs to happen. And, you know, to your point, it's very easy to talk about the benefits of diversity and inclusion because to a degree, it's so full of promise and, and benefits when you're getting a mixed group of people all feeling like they can be their best selves. Obviously, what emerges is the highest potential out of those individuals and then the group itself. But obviously, what organizations struggle with the most is, is getting from that sentiment to the end point, as you describe, where people don't need to think about it as much anymore because it actually becomes part of the actual organizational yeah, culture. Exactly. And there's a lot of work in between, like you just described so beautifully. You mentioned there the capabilities of inclusive leadership because... I mean, apart from, you know, the requirements of good strategy, good process, good structure, commitment, diligence, you know, all these kind of qualities are required to implement over and over the requirements of creating that diverse and inclusive culture. A lot of this is just really difficult for human beings. I mean, and the more diverse we make a group, the trickier, the tougher it becomes to negotiate all those different humans, you know, humans are such complicated beings. So that environment immediately becomes more complex, the more diverse it becomes. So what are the, some of the, the kind of the underlying capabilities that you're referring to there when you speak about inclusive leadership? And I suppose some of those capabilities will be required at all levels in the organization, but especially for leaders, what do they need to become good at or become better at in order to help generate and foster this, the end goal of this culture of diversity and inclusion? Yeah, that's, uh, I guess, the perennial question and uh, something we think about and work on every day and all the time. It can be defined in a couple of terms. It's communication, it's curiosity, it's courage. But first and foremost, it really has to be a very steadfast commitment because it's not something that you do once mm. or it's not something that you do half of the time. And it's not something that you can be kind of halfway. You can't be halfway inclusive. You're either mm. inclusive or you're not. You can't be inclusive just to some people and you know mm. not to others. So first is really this really intentional, conscious commitment to doing this, to leading in a certain way, to behaving in a certain way. And then communication is at the heart of everything and how you message your intent, how you also lay out your expectations towards everyone you work with is a big part of it. Then uh, curiosity, and I always kind of combine curiosity with humility. So curiosity towards people that do not have the same background, the same uh, context as uh, you as a leader. And, you know, within that, it's humility as well, because uh, you might not know many of the things or their reference points and how you work through that as a leader. Awareness of biases. Uh, we all have uh, biases. Uh, some biases are very good because it helps us survive. Some biases are not so good. But uh, even if we don't have, we don't think we have biases. Everybody has biases, mm -hmm. and how we become aware of those and how we manage those in a way that's constructive and conducive to having these uh, these open conversations and working towards becoming inclusive leader. Then I mentioned courage. Mm -hmm. Courage is 
also very important. Why? Because uh, many times you have to go against the grain of here is how we used to do things or mm -hmm. here is how we used to make decisions or here is how we implemented certain things and the courage to also open up certain conversations and take a certain stand on certain topics when it may not necessarily be very easily accepted or very you know clear or understandable for mm. somebody. Why are we doing this? Mm. No, mm. what is it that we need to do here? And so, and it takes courage because sometimes it's uh, uncomfortable and courage to also create the, this whole notion. It's uh, talked about a lot now, but it is true, this uh, psychological safety, mm -hmm. which is really how you bring up topics and how you make sure that when uh, something happens and maybe five, ten years ago, we kind of uh, glossed over it and we didn't really pay attention. But because of the uh, increased awareness, because of the curiosity, we may spot something in the course of a meeting or a discussion which is not really conducive to engaging everybody mm. to stop the conversation and say, well, okay, do you realize this might have hurt somebody or this might not have been appropriate and address it on the spot. So mm -hmm. it takes courage mm -hmm. uh, in a way that is, again, positive and conducive to uh, everybody understanding. So, mm -hmm. And there's v different ways to do it, you know, different ways to get people on board or different ways to educate or give some feedback to people maybe after a meeting. So it's really a million small steps that also lead to a different type of recognition for the importance of inclusion. So mm. these are all long-winded answers, but it's no. a very, very rich, multi-layered, mm. multi-dimensional topic, which has so much, it's so much about human behavior yeah. and awareness. Mm. And I mean, there's a, there's a constant feedback loop there, isn't there, between courage, commitment, and curiosity. I mean, as you, I love that kind of the two faces that you suggest there of curiosity and humility which is really at the crux of personal transformation, evolution, learning, right? It means that always leaning into something, but also being willing to know that you don't know what you don't know and, and being willing to learn from it. And that's a courageous exercise. And, and in terms of leadership, constantly being able to communicate that, both, I'm hearing you say, both, both expressly, verbally, but also by action, by deed. I'm hearing that in this particular area, leadership by example becomes absolutely critical. Absolutely. Can I give you a very simple example, Please. which is this uh, whole intentional and ongoing activity around inclusion? It's an everyday example. Um, you go into a room, you're getting ready for a meeting, so there's maybe already one or two people in the room when you enter, and you know one of the people and the other person you don't know. And you go uh, naturally up to the person you know, and you say, hi, how are you? And you start the conversation. Meanwhile, the other person is sitting there, maybe completely new to the organization, maybe a new person who started yesterday. And how many times it happens that the individual is there and these two people converse, others come in, they know these two who are already discussing now, they join the conversation. Mm -hmm. And it takes courage to say, well, let me say hello to this other individual involve them, include them in, and it's just a fantastically 
empowering and uplifting experience for both people to bring somebody in who's been maybe on the uh, side of the room and you know, not feeling very, very included, not feeling very confident anyway, because they are maybe new or they, you know, they've just joined to that particular meeting and so forth. But then it's not enough. Now you have to do it again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And you have to always have your antennas out and and make sure that people who may not have been included are in fact somehow brought into the into the mix of discussion. It happens all the mm. time, mm. these kinds of things. And these are, again, these are small things. It's not, you know, earth-shattering magic, big uh, scale activities mm. always. It, these are uh, small day-to-day uh, actions. But now people start watching it and mm. afterwards they they say, oh, that was great, you know, thank you for it. So these are small things which mm. we have to be very, very mindful of. And then you've got the nature of very cross-cultural groups and not everybody speaks the same level of English necessarily. So how do you also make sure that it was clear or understood? Mm -hmm. How do you make sure you're sensitive to um, examples that may not be as meaningful in other cultures as well? So it's a million different things, but it's a muscle you exercise and it becomes Mm -hmm. second nature Mm -hmm. after a while. Mm. I love that small example and I also love the emphasis that that small example actually can have profound knock-on effects and that really there's a potential for change here beginning with the individual. I mean, we started this conversation with quite a strong perspective on what the organization needs to do as a group and as a whole, but also as a structure in order to drive diversity and inclusion. But there's a lot that the individual can do. In, in that scenario you described, there is that, you say it takes a lot of courage, but after taking that courageous step, there's that personal reward for both you and the person who you've actively taken to include. What kind of more visible or more expressed and structural incentives and rewards do you believe might work to help drive diversity and inclusion? Are these things that you've experimented with yourself in your own organization that you could reference? Or is one more difficult to identify and reward than the other in terms of diversity and inclusion? Uh, when you say reward, is it material reward or what kind of reward do you Definitely not necessarily think material. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I'm just, you know, I recall we were speaking about yeah. standards, I mean, sorry, targets. And in terms of incentivizing the work, your fellow colleagues and the employees in the organization to work towards those targets, what kind of incentives do you feel work and what kind don't you feel work? I mean, financial, for example, there's quite, quite a lot of mixed opinions about whether financial incentives other way to do this sort of thing. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, and I, I would agree it's uh, in terms of direct financial rewards is not necessarily as meaningful in this case. It's part of, you know, like everything, you work with objectives, you know. These are the, the things that I need to achieve. These are things that are in front of me as expectations. And as such, you know, these are weaved into various outcomes that we expect during the year. So leading successful teams are usually one, how you're developing your own uh, team, your own organization. When you build an inclusive culture, you have less uh, turnover, you have higher performance. So it weaves uh, through that. So it somewhere materializes in your objectives that Mm -hmm. you've been successful. You're able to hire great talent. You're also able to uh, promote out great talent. In our organization and many organizations I've I've worked before, we measured leaders, uh, not just by how they achieved their financial objectives, but also how they promoted talent. Were they developer 
of talent in the organization. I had a boss once who, when we went through the uh, leadership assessments, then say, how many people can you point me to who this particular leader developed in the mm. organization? So you become, or that particular leader becomes known as a talent developer, as a, a leader who really takes uh, the people part of, of work very seriously. So it has all those connected benefits and results, which then turn into really recognizing the work of that and the mm, performance mm. of that leader. Mm. But other rewards, you know, come through, you know, having great engagement in your team, which again, makes your team more successful. Mm. So we do lots of stories around successes in this regard uh, or testimonials in, in this regard, you know, people's own stories on how they grow and develop within the organization. So it's more the cultural, you know, the cultural recognition and the cultural benefits within the organization of how how well this is going or how well you are doing in, mm -hmm. this, uh, in this space. So, I mean, just to sum up, this is something that every organization can intentionally develop. It's something that every organization can intentionally grow. And what we're really talking about here is your know, fundamental human engagement and interaction. What I personally, and um, you know, it's very clear, you personally agree, this is what humans are actually, when they're actually at their best, when they're connected, when they're engaged with each other, and really getting the most out of that sense of diversity. But this isn't really just a, this is not only an exercise for those who feel this in a heartfelt way, mm -hmm. the actual business outcomes of this are clear and fundamental. I mean, the the outcomes of this are greater competitiveness, better results, and a more systemic and ingrained way of consistently reaching the objectives that you're aiming for as an organization. Absolutely. And again, there is any number of uh, statistics that show the uh, increased output or the increased performance of highly diverse and inclusive teams. And... A lot is about, um, you know, innovation comes into play, you know, two minutes after you start talking about mm. it, because again, diverse teams, diverse brains, diverse uh, conversations result in more creativity and also more, more motivation for implementation. And that's where you get innovation. And the main reason is, you know, people can think, well, okay, well, why is that? Because when you have got so much different uh, viewpoints and so much different opinions coming together, the brain works harder mm. when you have a, and therefore, because the brain works harder, there is a much better product at the end of those kinds of sessions and work initiatives. And that's a fantastic thing if you think about. Mm. Sometimes you're also proud being with the same people, you know, getting to a decision real quickly because everybody's on the same page because everybody has the same thinking. Mm. But when it's not and you have a really tough time working through these, the brain works harder and gets to a better result. And I think that's, again, that's a winning formula all around. Absolutely agree. Thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you for coming in. Yeah. Enjoy the You're welcome. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening. For more on our guests and the resources described in this podcast, please refer to the information section of your podcast player. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to receive updates and latest episodes of Learning Rewired, brought to you by Headspring.